Hello and welcome to Everyone is Everything, episode 23, but more importantly, the beginning of season two. And with that being said, I probably should have started planning these intros and having something actual to say, but I don't. I do have Andrew Lang on today, who is a returning guest, but we didn't really come at this from the interview uh, vantage point, more so just a chat. No notes, just a couple of people chatting about being people, which is kind of the reason I started this, but also I think at some level I wanted to connect and make some new friends even. And I would say that Andrew is definitely one of those. So, <gasps> who is it? Hey. What am I doing? Uh, what's that? It's a microphone. Uh, Say, hello, microphone. Hello, microphone. Say, it's time to do a podcast. I'm do a podcast. Say, everyone is everything. No. Say, no one is nothing. Right? This is the first episode of No One Is Nothing, featuring Tara and Sherry. (laughs) All right, well then, to kick off season two of Everyone Is Everything, um, we are going to have Tara read a Ramdas quote. Go ahead, Tara. We're here to awaken from the illusion of separateness. We're here to awaken from the illusion of separateness. Everyone is everything. Enjoy Andrew Lang. That's actually perfect because we learned from last time that you and I will just get totally into it and miss the important conversations that we have. Right, right. So now we... Wasted no time and we jumped right into the recording (laughs) and that that makes me want to address the important information right away, which is, is that a new mic stand? Did you have that last time? No idea. I think I think I had it. I may have I may have been more discreet. Oh, maybe you were. I couldn't see it because now (laughs) see I had a mic stand last time, but I'm trying to hold it technique now. I think that like I can move more and then that can keep my guests like like kind of scared and on their toes and if there's one thing i've learned right one thing i've learned from doing 20 something of these is that you fear in the guest is key yeah that's when you really get the most wisdom is when people are afraid right right so that's the plan (laughs) so if you see me moving a lot that's because i'm trying this so we'll give it a go it's a brand new microphone too i don't know i mean it looks great It looks good, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm going to have a girlfriend any day now. <laughs> All I needed was the microphone. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. I have no, we have no plans as much for this. I, I don't think like I, I reached out to you because I, I had like an accidental end of the season thing where like the person who edits the show went out of town and then I had no guests lined up. So I was like, I'm just going to take all of May off. And, uh, but I had already messaged you with the idea of having you back on and whether it be like an interview me or just like a talk about the podcast or just wing it kind of thing. And I think, uh, you are the, yeah, you are like the first person I thought of and, uh, here we are. So I, I've always have a notebook next to me, even if I don't read it, I have like notes on it and I have nothing. (laughs) (laughs) 
So well, welcome. This, this is going to go great. Right. Welcome to season <laughs> two where I stopped trying. So here we are. So uh, how's it going? It's going great. I, uh, I've spent the morning at a coffee shop and mm. you know, it's going to be a good day when you begin the day in a space that holds you and that mm. coffee shop holds me real good. So, that's awesome. <laughs> so you know, I'm feeling good. <laughs> that's good. I actually, uh, I, you know, I'm off today. So I, I did some, the exercise I would normally do late in the evening I did in the morning. And I was like, I need some sun. Like I could still feel some mm-hmm. like weird latent anxiety in my body. I couldn't really tell what it was or why it was there. And I was like, I think like I need to walk. I need to be in the sun. So I just took a walk and my brain was like, bring a book because you should be adding to the productivity of this thing. Cause you're off and we need to be doing more. And I had one in my pocket and you'll appreciate it. I had a Richard Rohr, like a small mm-hmm. book in my pocket. And I was like, but you don't have to read it. Like I said it as I walked out, I was like, you can have it. And yeah. you don't have to read it. And as I was walking, yeah, I en- ended up not reading it. I ended up uh, ended up at a big cottonwood tree that had like all the little cotton things. I don't know. I was I meant to Google how cotton trees work uh, <laughs> after that walk, but I didn't. But I haven't yet. Um, but yeah, I remember I just stood there. It stopped me in my tracks, and they were all just kind of coming down at me. And I was just like stood and let all these little like floaty magical things float at me. And then I started trying to catch them. Right. And then before I knew it, I'm just like catching little of these little. That's so good thing. Right. And what's the best part about it is I'm doing this and I'm kind of in this back trail near my house and it's, it's paved. So it's not like deep forest or anything, but most, there's not a lot of people there. And then, uh, then this group of like 12 year old girls started coming around the corner and my brain was like, act like a normal adult. Like don't embarrass yourself <laughs> in front of these 12 year old girls because they're all just talking and I'm the one like playing in the woods. Quit playing, act like you're miserable. Let's go. Right, right. That's kind of how it was. It was like, make sure you get a stern stoic face on because you're a bearded adult man and you just, you nod at them and you keep walking. So that was my, but it felt good. It was good. It was a good place to, uh, end up i mean that's that's so good because you can just like experience like it's just this Mm -hmm. like this is the this is the moment i'm in so right right. i'm I'm willing to bet money that the book you had in your pocket was called just this it was it was (laughs) now hold on hold on did you did you say that knowing that was going to be it or did that sentence come out and then it came together i assumed when you said that you had a book in your pocket uh, one of Roar's books mm-hmm. in your pocket. I was like, there is only one of his books that I know is pocket size comfortably. Right. And right. then I think I remembered that you maybe posted a picture of it on mm, Instagram right, at some right, point right, right, and right. those two clicked. Right. Like, you assumed I wasn't wearing Jinkos in the woods today. With That's a weird assumption pockets. for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I should clearly check my assumptions. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I've been known to wear very big pockets. So, uh, but you were right. Yeah. You just like, for a second broke my brain because I was like, that is the book that I had. I didn't know I didn't know how many of those uh smaller books he has. I how just does he know maybe I was with you in that area. Right, I was right. I was around a different tra- I was catching uh <laughs> I was playing in a, in Whatever a different area. Cotton things are called. Yeah. Yeah. And then I like kicked a rock all the way home. Like I just committed to this rock and I just kicked it like the entire way home. And then now it's sitting with my other 
rocks that I steal from nature, even though I think you're not supposed to do that. Uh, but you know, even when you steal from nature, it's still nature, right? Like we are, we aren't separate from it. We're a part yeah. of it. You know, it's, it's interesting you said that too. Cause I, I thought that even when I was, when those 12 year old girls that pack, what do you call a group of 12 year old girls? Chaos. Okay, uh, the, yeah. the, for, the former high school teacher in me okay. is just like chaos. Yeah. So a chaos of girls came around the corner <laughs> and, uh, and I remember as I was like stopping what I was doing and I started to separate them from the nature experience. And I was like, oh no, they are also nature. That's so good. So I had that experience last week. My job is in a big building and we're the only building on this public park. And so I take two or three walks a day and I, I, I don't think I think about it much, but I don't like to walk when like during lunchtime because there's a school next to the park and I don't like to walk anytime where there's going to be kids coming through mostly because like it's their getaway it's where I would have been if I went to that school like people are there they're finding the little nooks and crannies to smoke they're looking like right they're doing all mm -hmm. that and this last week I had a moment where I was out walking and I realized it was lunchtime because there's just like noise everywhere and the ducks have like taken off for safety and I had this moment of why am I separating like the totally typical normal behavior of high school kids mm -hmm. from what's going on in this park with the no totally normal, typical behavior of like the ducks and the disc right. golfers. Like we're right. all just being, we're all just being in this yeah. space. You know, and that's, that brings up a thing that I've always kind of uh, considered, but it's, I, <laughs> It has potentially bad repercussions, this thought process, in, in, in that, like, if we're humans and we evolve to be whatever we are, and we build these big cities and we take down all the trees, and we say, you know, a lot of times we say that, uh, you know, we're, we're going against our nature, you know, we should get back to mm -hmm. our, and I'm like, but are we? Like, this is our first round. Like, so isn't everything a human is doing? according to its nature like so where do you where does our nature stop and culture and does that is there a separation and it's just like i am not excusing our behavior as humans and we, yeah. we we should correct in order to not kill our planet and each other of course um but it's hard to be like well you know this is a you know that's not our nature and i'm like but what is how do you even yeah. say that yeah, I think there's a fine line or maybe it's an, maybe it's like this invitation that exists within us all towards our ideals of like there is a better, more whole way to live and to not destroy things. And so we say, you know, the we return to our nature, it's against our nature. Like there's maybe some this part of us that knows that's like aspirational or just like knows that there's a return to like that true self whole space and living out of that space. Even when we come to the realities of like human humans don't do that right. often. Well, you know, and it's, it, as you say it, I was like, you know what, like we've built this Mecca of like, like the glorification of humanity in buildings and, and, yeah. and, and businesses and all this stuff. And, we also live in like sheer anxiety and and like all this all the time and it almost as you were saying it, i was like actually that would be an indicator 
uh, you know, that maybe we aren't in line with, yeah. you know, the fact that if you go into, you know, you go outside and you just sit and all of a sudden, you know, you feel less anxious versus when you jump onto your email and you see 99 emails, it's like, okay, maybe that, that those, and this is, we talked about this last time. I think, I think it was one of the things I posted, like one of the clips I posted about, you know, misunderstanding, you know, the, what our body can do for us in terms of giving us a green light to understand our feelings and stuff. But that anxiety might be a key that we're not living our most efficient or I don't even want to say efficient, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like our, our truest version of ourselves. Yeah. You know, I think you were on, it was your podcast episode with Willow, I think, mm -hmm. um, Willow Brooke. And you, she asked you to define grief and you were like, ah, like that is not an easy thing. This is what I got right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the next line, I think you like named that grief is when a part of you drops off, or maybe you named that like in your experience, that's what grief feels like. It's like a part of you dropping off. And I think that's part of that anxiety is like when we give ourselves to the illusion of our cityscapes and our busy to-do lists we're living in this grieving because a part of us has uh, not just dropped off, but been given, right. Been, mm -hmm. been, been allowed to drop off. And there's a grief in that. And the question then becomes like, what are the parts of yourselves that you're allowing yourselves to allowing yourself to pick back up and cradle in your soft hands? What are the parts that are, you're just going to be good with to let mm -hmm. go of? And then right. there's a whole nother grief process that begins because that's terrifying. <laughs> right. Cause it's all, yeah. And in, in that sense, the grief doesn't stop. Like yeah. it's just a matter of how we, what relationship we have to it. And let's just, you know, as, as this is kind of a, a free form version of the podcast. And uh, I want to acknowledge some of the, the, the road to this, what I'm calling season two, just want to stop for a second and say, Willowbrook was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite episodes. Um, so I'm glad that came up and there was so much in there and like you and her, there's been, a, I mean, I, I've enjoyed almost all of them, but there's like a couple where I'm like, this is the kind of person I want to be around or like associate mm -hmm. with. And even in that is another indicator, like, you know, our anxiety might pull us and say, oh, maybe this is this tension I feel is showing me that this might not be ideal for me. And maybe also that other side where we, we do, you know, and even in the grieving process, if you find that something feels soothing and something feels, you know, good in that sense, it might be worth pursuing, but yeah. you know, everything has that flip side. And that's, what's so hard about just being human is because you could use that as an excuse to just wallow and like do the things that aren't good for you. And it's like, sometimes my brain is wrong about what I need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a beautiful possibility that opens up when you see grieving as an ongoing cyclical process and that in grief, there's always the invitation or the possibility of something. So like something I just popped into my head was, you know, as you're starting season two, thinking back to who you were before you started season one, what were you grieving? Here's a question for you. What were you mm -hmm. grieving that brought you to start this podcast? You know, I... It's interesting you say that because I, if I really think about it literally, um, I took a trip to California 
um, for the Ramdas Be Here Now anniversary uh, thing. And uh, I met up with a friend, an internet friend, uh, Joe, and uh, we we had never met in person, but we had this this like profound few days. I mean, everything was like magical, just boom, 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 right? And uh, it opened up a couple new pathways for me that I hadn't committed to. A couple pathways that uh, you know, in terms of um, like what I was like the spiritual stuff that I was studying zeroed in, like it, it focused mm. on like one path and, and I, and I've been kind of on that path since, but we also connected with people. We connected with uh, uh Swami in the, in a temple in California called Kali Mandir, uh, uh, Swami Bajanananda. And we connected with uh, a musician that we both idolized named Paul Masvidal. And uh, it was just, amazing right mm. and i was like these are my new best friends like i'm gonna yep. like this is like my new life and it's gonna feel like this whatever and uh i came home and i was high off of that and me and joe have kept great contact and it's like essential for that relationship in my life but uh all of a sudden all that was gone for something and oh, i had this feeling that i was like i i wanted to I, I honestly it was specifically those two people. I was like, I'm going to start it. Like I kept thinking about a podcast, podcast, podcast. And then I was like, I reached out to Paul and I reached out to the Swami and I was like, would you be a guest on it? And they're like, yeah, which I still haven't been able to get lock them down yet. Just time-wise. But um, I realized soon after that, I was like, do I really want a podcast or I just want to talk to people? Like, I feel like I'm missing something that I saw for a second, like this connection that, you know, I didn't have, uh, beforehand. And I mean, it's hard to, like we said, grieving comes in a lot of forms, so it's hard to yeah. define it, but there was this thing that, you know, all of a sudden I wanted that I felt and I, I wanted to connect and I couldn't tell if it was an ego thing where I was like, I'm the one who talks to people and I'm going to make it public. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of bounced back and forth on where my intention is period still to this. Um, but yeah, I felt like it was almost, it, you know, it almost feels bad saying that like, that was something that I, you know, I was gr grieving a loss of because it was an, it was an experience. It was a moment and it was new. It wasn't like I lost someone that I'd been with my whole life, but all of a sudden there was this experience that I wanted more of. And, uh, it, what's been interesting is because I haven't got those two guests, I've had to deal with that in my head where I'm just like, oh, maybe it's not about like, I don't get to pick the way this goes. So now I'm not in control anymore. And now I'm realizing that this whole time I'm not in control and this idea that I had. And so now I'm almost like without, and I heard this on uh, a Pete Holmes podcast recently. Um, and he said, they, they talked about how, um, with you know the ego wants control and when it loses control it no it feels unsafe and that's where like our our lack of safety and i was like oh no like that that is a lot of what i deal with on a day-to-day -day basis like i'm realizing oh the world doesn't feel safe it doesn't feel safe because sometimes i don't have control and my ego is like we got to get they're just he's just trying to keep the car straight but he doesn't realize that i've been safe and will always be safe 
you know, I like you don't need the coffee shop to be in a in being held in that space, but sometimes we do feel held. And when we don't, you know, our ego panics and uh, and it and it gets scared. And I think this whole process has been like a weird thing of me going like one, I have nothing to say. I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this Two, No one wants to talk to me. The main guys that I was going to start it, they must hate me. You know, they, they don't want to talk to me. And like, so I'm constantly like having to confront that. So I don't know if that answers anything that you said, but it was just the thing that popped in my head. Yeah, no, you know, the first thing that came to me at, right as you were saying that is uh, actually, I think this is Richard. Uh, this is Richard Rohr, but he defines uh, suffering as anytime you're not in control. Mm. And uh, obviously, I think that's one of his typical Rohrisms of like super simplified down. And yet, I certainly feel that right. Like, and I and I know in my body, like, and I think I I probably shared this last time we talked. But whenever I feel out of control, that is something that is so clear in my body because my shoulders tense up, mm -hmm. right. And even when there's other moments where I think control is not the issue. So uh, I, I think about you not having those two guests on, right? There's a, there, if I was in that space, right? Thinking about like the sadness of, well, this is what started it all. Why hasn't this happened yet? Making the jump and then realizing, oh, there's a control desire here. Mm -hmm. Like, it's interesting to be able to notice what you're feeling and then boil it down to like, is this, is this a desire for control? Is this a desire for protection, which is really just self-control? Is mm -hmm. this a, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's interesting too. Cause it, you know, it, it mirrors that, uh, that like constant teaching in the Bhagavad Gita that you, you do the work without, um, the fruit of the action is not up to you. Like you get to do the yeah. work, but not for the fruit of that work. So like starting it was my call, how it turns out now. I don't like, I don't get to see how it, I don't get to pick how it comes to fruition. If I want this guest, this guest, this guest, or I want it to sound like this, or I want whatever I, it has, I, I don't get to pick that. And this is a thing that I've been thinking of because throughout May, I was like, should I quit? Should I just mm. stop? Like, cause I don't, it doesn't feel like a need. Like when I wrote music, I needed it. I had to do it. Um, and you know, there's other things in my life when I've been passionate about stuff, it's, it was an, I had to have it this, you know, if I didn't do it, I think I'd be fine. But there's this thing in me where I'm like, what happens if I just keep going? Like mm. this little curiosity where I'm like, what happens if I keep going? And, and it's not a routine thing. I love routines. I like when I played guitars every day, I practiced and every day I wrote this, I, when yeah. I, I don't get guests the same days, I can't really, I can kind of plan, but I can't ultimately this is, it goes the way it's going to go. So now I'm not in control a lot, yeah. you know, like even now I'm like, what if we run out of like, like, I don't know, like there's this little voice that's trying to speak up in the back of my brain saying like, this is, we have no control right now. And, uh, it's yeah it's it's that's kind of been the constant thing and it's it's an interesting uh kind of flow to be in because yeah there's that lack of control and, and you know what i want to throw this out to you like okay so if we know that lack of control leads to fear and feeling unsafe and that leads to suffering we can you can even just take out all that middle stuff if you want like richard Rohr does what do we do? 
with the lack of control? Like, do we learn to like, do we, do we enter more disruptions into our lives? Like, so we can be more comfortable in that water or do we learn to create a routine? And you know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think both is the answer, but like, how? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's so much of that is the question of spirituality and the question of like connectedness, no matter like what tradition you're coming from or going to is you, no matter what we're doing, we're dancing, mm-hmm. right? So we're dancing in our existence. And some of us are really trying to get a very specific like dance down. And every day we are working real hard at it. And some of us are just like vibing to some like good jazz. Mm-hmm. And and then there's those of us that I think, I think this is where I fit into it, which is I'm trying to get down a basic two-step and it, some days I work harder at it than others. And in my best moments, I allow myself to do a little improv mm-hmm. with it. But I think that's so much of, of the, I mean, going everything we've talked about so far, thinking about grieving as pretty much ongoing, right? But not just a negative, that there's a there's an invitation in it, as well as this constancy and consistency of being out of control is how are you in that? I just painted a pretty terrifying world right there between those two things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so how are you giving yourself to the moment and allowing yourself to to dance a little. Um, I think so much, and this is a, this is also a curiosity for the podcast and for, for your experience, but like, I think so much of that comes down to who are you surrounding yourself with who and what are the stories that you're listening to? Because all of those things are going to impact the way you move in your life, right? They're, they're going to impact the dance. They're going to impact your, uh, your outlook on the grief that's going to come no matter what they're going to out they're going to shift your outlook and your um your connectedness with wow. with yourself yeah i mean that just that's so good i never thought about it like this but yeah if if life is a dance and we've heard that analogy a bunch and it works then where what's the music you know oh, yeah. what are you dancing to okay you're dancing to the things that are going around around you know the people you're with the experience you have the things you watch and read and things that are happening internally it's that's the music in which you are now you know engaging with so that's that's good and and what are you allowing to emerge like i think that's also part of this this um whatever tradition you come from whether you refer to as like contemplative or mindfulness right like all these different uh spaces mystical what in that moment are you allowing to emerge and so for you when you're um going down and meeting all these cool people and really having this powerful experience. Are you so tight that you won't let your, like this little part of you, it's like podcast. Are you so tight that you won't allow Mm -hmm. that to, to grow? Or are you willing to say like, this seems to be emerging. Let me, let me tend this a little bit. Doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I have to do anything with it. Doesn't mean I have to plant a freaking garden, but like, can I, can I see what's, what's going on here? Right. And that's, that's kind of what happened too. And it it was like, it just kept pestering me. It kept yeah. being like, what if we do this? What if we do this? What if we do this? And I kept, I kept talking myself out of being like, that's an ego thing. That's an ego thing, you know, whatever, whatever. And then now I'm realizing that the ego is the one that's like, no, we'll lose control. 
Yeah. So hold on. Like if I'll convince you, the ego is tricky and not all bad, but it can, it can, it's very good at convincing you that it's not the one that's talking. Oh yeah. I, so this is part of my, my history. And this is something that I've been like really growing in, I think, and I hope in the last couple of years, but what I used to do is when I would get a little bit of emergence in my, like, you know, that whatever, if, if it's pesky or if it's just like a little thought, what I would immediately do is I'd go down this like massive rabbit hole. I'd get my whiteboard out and I would plan like in, if I was to look at this little tiny thing that's emerging, this little sprout, what would this look like in five years? Mm -hmm. And I would plan this massive thing, whether it's a business plan or a book table of contents or, you know, whatever it is. And inevitably what would happen is I'd fill up the whiteboard. I'd look at it for a couple of days and the whiteboard would tell me in order to do this, you would need more skills than you currently have. And therefore don't try. And it was this ego twist of, you know, let me actually tend to the emergence so tightly and so fast without discernment that, uh, by the end of it, this big whiteboard would be filled and I would have nothing but this feeling of garbage, right. <laughs> like can't wow. do this. Got to give yeah. it up. Got to stamp it out. You tricked yourself into acting like you were allowing, but you were really just closing it off. Like, like, yeah, just shutting it down. Productive I, I mean, self-destruction. Wow. I get that. <laughs> I get that too. Cause I'll do that. I won't do it as organized as that, but I'll, I'll think about it and I'll just come up with reasons that I can't, you know, yeah. well, I don't, I don't, I don't know how microphones work. I still don't, you know, except for I know which way to point it at me, which depending on the microphone, that's not always true. Like I come up with reasons that I can't do things all the time. Actually, uh, I, when I was in college, I, I changed majors a lot. Like I did music and then psychology and then social work and then sociology. I ended on sociology. And I remember going to the, the guidance people or whatever. And, uh, changing the sociology and i was like you know what i don't want to take any foreign languages i don't want to take any more math sociology works i already have a lot of credits based on everything social work and and psychology it kind of plays in and he was like you can't base your life on what you don't want to do and mm. at the time i was like oh i'm about to <laughs> like, and, I, and i did and uh in a way it was a, it was this thing in my head that was telling me the reasons that I couldn't do all the things. And like that one isn't as heavy for me. Cause I just needed to get out of school. I never, like yeah. it wasn't, I was just done with it and that's fine. Um, and so in that instance, I made the right choice, but then as I've gotten older, I've realized how often I do that and how often my brain does what you, you just said, comes up with ways to convince me that I'm actually like, you know what? Like it's, it's not, it's, it's uh, wrong of me to talk about spirituality when I'm such a beginner. It's wrong of me because like I go to the Vedanta temple in St. Louis and those guys are, those swamis have dedicated their whole lives. Who am I? I shouldn't have one. And, you know, it's, it's more, it's more um, noble of me to just be silent with my practices yeah. and that convince my brain that, yep, it's the, it's the right thing to do to quit. When actually my brain's just like, we're terrified. We don't want to do this anymore or whatever. Yeah. yeah. A few years ago, I was teaching ninth grade and we had given, we'd been given a curriculum and I had never taught a curriculum before. I always, I was really 
thankful to exist within schools where I could create my own curriculum and, and my own class structure. But I was given this curriculum to pilot. And the first thing I taught was Icarus, the myth of mm -hmm. Icarus. And I realized I'd never actually read the myth of Icarus. I'd heard, you know, everyone hears it mentioned at some point in their lives, but like, I don't know. So I finally read it and, you know, we stuck with it for like two months. Kids hated it. Uh, and, and one of my favorite things I realized about it though, was that when we tell the myth of Icarus, how we tell it is that, uh, Icarus and his father are escaping this Island that they've been exiled to. Uh, and they are putting on these wings made of, uh, held together with wax. And so the father says to Icarus, don't fly too high or else the sun will melt your wings, uh, melt with the wax and you'll fall into the water below. That is like what we focus on in that story, right? Icarus flew too high. He, he tried too hard. He did too much. And he, he met his demise because of it. But the other part of that story is that the dad also says, and don't fly too low. Because if you get too close to the water, your wings will also become wetted, like wet and matted down and you will fall to your demise as well. And I think so much of our culture has taught us to only focus on that first part. Don't fly too high. And instead thinking about that second part, which is we also are not meant to fly so low that we don't do anything. We aren't meant to, to lower expectations of our very being so far that we, we never rise to exactly who we are and who we are is never who we think we are right? because we have so many negative messages trying to weigh us down. So I think of that as just like all these narratives that we have in our heads telling us you're not this, you're not that don't try that. You're not good enough. You're, you're not in control and therefore you are, you know, going to cause chaos here. What would it look like to look beyond those narratives and actually try to fly, uh, at a, at a space that will allow us to escape the, the exile of, of these cultural teachings. Wow. Yeah. I never heard that second part. And it's, it's interesting because these things we keep bringing up, like you're not in control or like, you know, you're always safe and you hear these things and they have no weight against your feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this story, the narratives have like, I, even if I'm like later today, if I get a well of like all the anxiety and the fear, if I think about that mythology, it doesn't do all that much, but I do think it actually does. It's just hard to perceive. Like it does seep in to your, to your being a little bit. And, you know, you know, I thought I, earlier I said, you know, you're always safe, but you can't tell that's an anxiety ridden person or me. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes it's the flip side that makes sense. This is why that, the, you know, I, when I first started kind of questioning stuff um, and I, I was like, is nihilism positive? Can there be positive nihilism? Can I, can it be freeing that like nothing matters? Um, you know, and I kind of went down that road for a while and it did feel that way. Like, but using the language we're using, you weren't in control anyway. What are you mm -hmm. trying to get a thing that you never had? Like, it's never, it's never been there. It yeah. feels like it sometimes. And you, you build little things that make you feel like you're in control routines. I mean, if you took any of my routines away, I feel it you know um so it's yeah it's this like twofold thing about letting those things seep into your you know 
consciousness, but also knowing how to engage with the feelings because you're still going to feel all those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, that's the bridge. One of the bridges is, is body work and, and body work mm -hmm. in the sense of like engaging your body in any way. So what you did this morning, taking a walk and going and playing with some cottonwood trees, right? Like that is a, an example of, um, so much of the narratives that are put on us and the feelings that are, are in us, right. The stuff that's swirling and whirling so much of that can be impacted in a really positive way with our body becoming active in a different or new way. And I don't mean just like going to the gym and running three miles every morning, although that's like, that's definitely part of it too, but also just like learning to let your body do what it want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Like, do I want, to, I had a friend who we used to go on ramp. He called them rambles, uh, in this park near us. And we were just like, go off trip. You were allowed to, we, we would go off trail and just like climb on branches. And mm -hmm. when we got to the beach, there's, you know, always beach logs. And I struggle in just to like not twist my ankle on the big Washington rocks. And he's like jumping on one of the beach logs, just totally playing like a little kid. Mm -hmm. And the energy of allowing your body to just like do what it want to do does something every moment you do that and hold that within that that playfulness or that softness i think is training your feelings your emotional life as well as training your ego and the mm -hmm. part of you that's uh, either accepting these cultural narratives and translating it and stuff or bringing narratives up that are already within you and like expanding them i think every time you engage your body in a way that's inviting that softness and that playfulness it's like you're right sizing right those other and it, aspects and it makes sense too because like i said this morning i i did my normal exercise normal routine and i was like i'm not feeling any better i'm doing the physical thing i'm moving my body you know i'm 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 using my muscles and whatever and i just i still don't feel and that's why i and then when i said you know what i need to go out in the sun i'm going to take a walk or like and you know try to you know do something that my body's not always doing because it had become accustomed to that version of activity. Um, but there was another thing that you said that I wanted to touch on and I kind of lost it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, I do agree with you. Oh, here, here it is. Um, sometimes, you know, if you live so confined and rigid, which a lot of us do because you're, you're an adult, you act like this, this is how you do you, whatever, all that we got that. So and maybe this isn't your experience, but there, there's this thing, and this goes for like meditation too, uh, or anything like this. Like I think last year, I during a, a lunch, I walked, uh, I, I walked outside, and there's like this tree near the office, and I was like, can I get up on that branch? Like, can I like pull up? And I, I didn't pull myself all the way up, but I ended up like hanging upside down for a minute, and like I was. I was kind of in that playful space for a second. And then my brain was like, you're doing it. You're being like a kid. And then I wasn't anymore. <laughs> like yep. then now I'm like patting myself on the back. And then I, I lost the No kid goes like, I'm playing. Look at me. I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> so now it's turned into the right thing. Like, Oh no, I know that this yeah. is good for me. So, so like, and it's the same with meditation. Like the moment you feel the stillness, you're like, Oh, I'm doing it. And now it's gone. And it's, yeah. It's such a thing. And we have to kind of be okay with that being part of the the play. 
Yeah, to- totally. And that is that is what it is, right? Like that's why I think the dance imagery is so helpful for me is you can have these moments. Meditation is such a good example of, you know, you you get in, you're five minutes in and your brain is just, you know, everything, all the to-do lists, all the things. And maybe for three seconds, you can have a moment where there's just calm and you can have this beautiful moment. And then three seconds later, the list is back. And so much of that inner work around settling the body, settling into a meditation is it's not about the silence. I mean, it is, but it's also not because it's really about you're doing something that's countercultural. You're doing something that's Mm -hmm. counter to what the day-to-day autopilot is that you've, you've been going on. And so, and obviously that's different than, you know, that's different in all the different types of meditation. Um, But like one of the things I've really appreciated about secular forms of meditation that are disconnected from whatever tradition is that secular meditation is still such a pause on the autopilot that so many of us are Mm -hmm. on and it's allowing the pause to just be the pause. Like I'm going to sit here because there's something here for me and I don't know quite what it's going to do. I have a friend who's been practicing TM for three years and there's no, there's no like religious tradition connected to it for him, but the sense of spiritual connection that he gets is so abundant and it doesn't mean that every TM session, he calls it going down the TM hole uh, mm-hmm. whenever he sits. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, he's he's reaching this pinnacle moment of every meditation. Like, no, he's some some of his meditations are, I'm sure, are just brutally like frustrating because you know, I got it and then I don't got it and then I got it and I don't got it. And yet, if you can hold all of that with soft hands, mm-hmm. guess what? You've just practiced holding something with soft hands for 20 minutes. And right. that's probably not what you're doing the rest of your day. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because there's other traditions that there's so many traditions and so many versions of meditation and all, all, you know, all across the board. And I just realized this uh, as you were talking, there's, you know, there's uh, a lot in a lot of Hindu that that I've experienced talks a lot about putting, you know, your your deity in in your heart space, like that's where you picture it, um, whoever it is. and you know, it's not the only way, but I, I see that referenced a lot. And uh, what I found interesting about, you know, that practice is, like you said, sometimes it's not about um, the deity that you have in your heart space, but throughout the day, all of a sudden, I can put myself in my own heart space. Yeah. Like I can feel that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's not always that it's like these tr- old traditions are just tricking you into like <laughs> holding something <laughs> softly or being in your heart or like whatever it is. It's like, how are we going to get everybody to do this? Um, how about gods <laughs> like or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and it's one of those things. It's like, oh man, like now I have access to that. It just gave me a little access point to s- softening or um, just a different perception or different, you know, awareness of my body or feelings and stuff. So it's, it's interesting how these practices sometimes just like we talked about our ego earlier, it's not really doing what we think it's doing. Same with these practices. It's like, yes, doing them and doing them the way that 
you know, works for you makes sense, but it's probably giving you something else yeah. that you don't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. The, the word that has been so helpful for me is spaciousness. And mm -hmm. I know that that, like that word is, is used a lot now, but like, it's super helpful is that like in most of our life, we, I'll speak for me in my life. I don't have a lot of spaciousness. Mm. I book myself busy because productivity is value, right? Like that is a narrative I have. And if I'm like, my partner will tell you if we're here and the kids are just happily doing their own thing. And I feel like I've played with them for, you know, two hours at this point, I'm ready to like, I just want to sit down with a book or I want to sit down with a book and highlight all the things that I can then use <laughs> for something right. else. And right. so there's a spaciousness in a practice like meditation or going for a walk or uh, doing yoga, right? Like anything that brings you out of the culturally inculcated, this is what you do now mm -hmm. to be productive. Right. That's so like deeply valuable. Yeah. I mean, and there are, there, there's ways to put, productivity on those things. And that's what we have to be careful of too. I was about to say one of those things that, that I, I hear from your story, uh, that of what, like what I know of it is this podcast mm -hmm. was a space in you that was emerging as this, you know, you said you used that word pesky, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it was emerging and then you allowed it, the spaciousness to, to grow and we can totally put routines and like rhythms and like structures onto mm -hmm. it. And so the question is, as you go into season two, how are you going to hold this podcast in a way that will allow whatever is going to emerge to emerge and let right. that let practice, not just practice what you teach, right? But like we make a better world by practicing the world we want to be in. Right. And so how do we embody that now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, you hear musicians, I think I've heard it a couple of times that like, you can write the songs you want to hear, you know, it's the same idea and, and holding space for something, you know, especially for yourself and for projects and ideas and thoughts and feelings, all of a sudden I do think similar to like what we said, you then get better at doing it, doing that for other people. You know what I mean? Like if somebody is feeling something, maybe you can just be there in that without, you know, having to mold it into a fixable thing. Let me glue all of it together real quick for you, as opposed to just being there, you know, there's, and I'm going to, because last time I know, uh, we talked a, a little bit about music and how that's an access point into things. Uh, the, the guy that I mentioned that, uh, I got to hang out with in California, I listened to a song, his band is called cynic. And he, uh, it's been around since like the early nineties and, uh, he has a song called, I think I may hopefully I get the title right, but in the song, we'll just talk about the lyric in the song. He says, can I be a space for this? Like over and over mm -hmm. and over. And like, it's so good. I think it's just called space for this or something like that. But either way I listened to it. It's funny that you bring up spaciousness because this morning I listened to that song and I had this impulse to like share it with someone that I wasn't sure who I was like. I was say like my brain came up with a couple people and I was like, I don't think that's it. And, but then I let, let it go. So it's funny that this came up because, um, it's like very, you know, he says it so many times, can I be a space for this? And it was one of those things where it's like, man, that question, if you asked yourself that throughout the day, I mean, you can, you can say no, don't get me wrong, 
Like you could be like, no, I can't, like, I don't have it. Maybe I do need someone else to hold some of it. Like, that's cool too. But yeah, that question is pretty, pretty powerful, especially when, you know, we talk about it in terms of an emotional space or just space in your day. Like you said, filling everything like the, it's interesting because we talked about when we talked about meditation, I was thinking about, you know, you know, our in-breath and our out-breath. We always talk about the in-breath and the out-breath, but like there's that little pause in between those breaths, you know what I mean? And that's where like, that's the good stuff. Like that's like when you have your mantra and you say your mantra and the space between it sometimes, it's like the pause, There, there's nothing there. It's like the mantra is powerful, but that pause in between, and I've heard this before, this is not an original thought, but the point that pause between where nothing is, where it's just space. Okay. That's, you know, that's where the juice is. It seems like. Yeah, totally. I immediately imagine this, um, Thomas, I think I shared this potentially in the last time I was here, but Thomas Merton has this imagery of everyone has this internal spring within us and it's bubbling and it's this, you know, spring of contemplation, soul space, whatever you want to call it, that part of you, that inherent dignity. And then out of it is our streams of actions, how we show up in the world. And I immediately think of that moment or that point where the spring and the stream like intersect right mm-hmm. there when there's so much potency and excitement because the spring realizes oh, there's somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. And the stream bed is sitting there going, oh, I can be a space for this. Right. right? Like, uh, or, or, you know, there's something that's going to emerge here brand new. And, and it's that, it's that right in the, in the middle space. And I think that's also where, you know, inner work cannot be isolated work. Inner work cannot be what our spiritual lives cannot be cut off from our communities. And I think that intersection of the community, uh, when you are doing this internal stuff, this inner work for yourself, the community excitement, even if no one has the words for it everyone around your block, everyone you're going to meet tomorrow at the grocery store, there is like this sleeping excitement because something new, because of your desire in yourself, because of your intention, because of your commitment to, to bettering your, your, your life and your like inner work, there's something new that's possible for your community. Right. And so every meditation you sit, you're inviting a new sprout, right? Something new. Wow. Yeah, no, you're, that and that's the thing is like there you know we look at buddhist uh scriptures and you know changes are only permanent you know that's the thing so when you say there's this potential for something new and there's like all this um you know positive momentum it's like kind of how it sounds when you were just talking um it's almost as if just like we said like you never had control like the changes happen like the stuff is moving anyway so like to, to, you know, follow the things that, that feel like this, like the podcast thing, even though, you know, it's scary and whatnot, sometimes just to allow that to breathe, give it some air, give it some space, let the string, you know, the stream connect. It's, it's just an interesting practice, you know, Um, because sometimes I'll even think, you know, the, the wish I have, like, I'm like, man, I wish the, I, you know, I have the good boy complex where I'm like, I wish ever, you know, I want the swamis at the temple to like me to be like, I'm the, I'm like, Ooh, he's a special one. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's so good. And like, 
sometimes I'll picture like if they did and I'd, I'd panic <laughs> if yeah. like all of a sudden someone was like, yeah, you're the best. Now, come on, we're going to do, you need to do everything with us. I'd be like, oh no, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so like, and then there's this other thing. And I think uh, Duncan Trussell my, or, or Pete Holmes, one of those spiritual comedians mentioned it where, and I know I'm kind of, we're just flowing everywhere, but like, that's kind of this other side of, of, you know, of what I was just saying, but he, they said like, what if Jesus and Buddha and all your major deities, like whoever it is, if, even if it's living, Richard Rohr comes up to you and all these people come up to you and they say like, I, you know, you're, you're the best, you're the special one. And we love you the most. And we've just been watching you. And then they go back to their day. And then what do you do? You know? So like, like, what do you do? So a lot of these things, and I don't even know how I got here, but like, I, I, a lot of these things that our internal narratives are telling us, you know, recognizing like, what can we, what can we do with, with those in a, in a real sense? And like, what does it actually mean to our lives? And, you know, how can we continue to, you know, connect our, our spring in our stream, you know, and it's, it's just yeah. an interesting thing because like I said, I mean, sometimes the thing you think you want is actually terrifying if you actually got it, or maybe it wouldn't actually be that profound. Maybe it would actually be like, Oh, now what? I thought I got that like on Instagram from the pretty girl or the Swami or whoever I'm being very personal right now, I think, <laughs> but like, you know, <laughs> like, and now what? Like, I don't yeah. know. So it's, that was a bit of a rant, but yeah, um, this is what happens when I have no notes, but yeah, I think it's just crazy. It, it's the question for me, Thomas Keating, who is one of the minds behind centering prayer in the Christian contemplative tradition. Uh, he talks about intention as, as so much of everything because let go of outcome, right? Mm. What is the intention that you have means nothing in, in relationship to the outcome. What is your intention for this moment and this space and going into the next season of the podcast or when you sit down for a meditation, if your intention is the outcome, if your intention is for that spiritual teacher to say you're the best, um, chances are it's either going to be terrifying mm -hmm. uh, or, or it's going to be so unrealistic that you are going to find yourself in a feeling of failure, right? right? Uh, but if your intention in this moment is we're going to see what's going to happen here. Right. We'll see what there's an openness, a spaciousness, mm -hmm. uh, like whatever's going to occur is going to occur and mm -hmm. I'll be there. Right. Like I, that changes the game. Totally. I had that the other day. I, 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 I think it was Sunday. So it was a day I was going to go to the temple anyway. And like, you know, all of those feelings are, th there's just a lot of uh, socialization. So with that yeah. comes narratives, you know, um, and I remember thinking, all right, my goal today is just to be alive. Like, I'm just gonna, just gonna be alive. Like, that's the thing. If I can just do that, then whatever. And that, you know, be alive, meaning just like, be here for it, you know, yeah. and uh, man, it made things a lot easier for that <laughs> for yeah, moments of the day <laughs> where I was just like, oh, cool. Like, just show up. Like, I can't possibly show up as the thing that I think they want, like what I think they want in their head. I'm it's like all this layers of guessing where I'm like, I'm going to be the thing that they want that I think they want me to be. And then they're going to think I'm the good, you know, whatever. And then I'm lost. And I didn't, Sean didn't even show up. 
yeah. some version, some like I didn't yeah. show up and now I'm like, okay, just show up as is, you know? Yes. And that's enough. And I think that's what you just named is so much of what I hear with folks who are towing at when they see injustice in the world, they're towing at, I want to engage, but if I engage, people will look at me and I'm, am I the right person to engage in this way? Uh, what if I do show up in that space, people will look at me and think of me like this. Well, maybe it's best if I just stay silent, right? That, that circle that leads with, that leads to, I guess I'm going to do nothing again. And the question for me around activism and sustainable activism, which I just define as whenever you are active in your communities working for healing, like the question there is, how are you just going to show up? Like, just be there, be there because see what's going to emerge. Don't pay right. attention. And I mean, pay attention to what other people are, are putting on you if you feel it, but also like that isn't what you think that they are going to think of you when you walk into the space. Mm-hmm. Just, right. just be there and listen. Right. And I think listen. that's so much of, of our own stuff, right? Like, can I be there and just listen to myself, listen to what's going I mean, on inside me? Listening is also like a constant thing in my head, you know, and whether that's like, even if I'm out at the park, if we're talking about literal listening, because if I'm listening to nature, I can't think at the same time. Yeah. I can't listen and think at the same time. And then even also listening to that little thing tapping me on the shoulder and be like, start a podcast or, you know, this isn't good for you or this is. And listening to it, that doesn't mean jump in. This just means listen. Yeah. So listening is, oh man, that's been one of my like go-to things where I, even when I feel lost, you know, e- even though I, I I don't have like a long time history of prayer in my world because I was just a heavy metal kid forever. So we didn't do that. <laughs> but like, I, you know, sometimes the simplest way for me to do it is just say, I'm listening. Like I'm just, I'm listening, you know, and that, you know, to your point, um, man, can you, even I'm not as, as steeped in activism, like you are. And even me thinking, just saying, oh, I'm listening to communities, to people outside myself, to people who are suffering and struggling man like and actually listen like that's i mean that's hard listening is a skill period like because there's so much there's so much noise in our head that we think we're listening but you're just gathering information i don't know if that's the same as listening yeah it's it can't be i think that's the what's powerful and i guess I'll, i'll wrap this back but like What's powerful about when we hold space, you know, what space can I hold here? Like, how am I holding this? Uh, including a podcast, you know, wherever you're, you're bringing people together, the powerful act of that is that you're inviting folks, especially when it has to do with spirituality or connectedness, is that you're inviting folks to listen from a different center. And that's different than consuming energy or conserving, uh, consuming information, right? Is that often, maybe most often, most of us, based on my experience of the folks around me, we consume with our heads, we we mm-hmm. consume information. And so meditation, or all these different forms of spirituality, going and watching the ducks float on a on a pool in the middle of your park, you know, neighborhood park, the act of listening in that way shifts your shifts where you're listening from. Uh, down into a, a deeper you underneath the narratives and the masks and the the layers that have been put on yourself. Right. And then what's crazy about that is if I learn to listen and recognize that I'm listening from deeper and deeper parts that I didn't recognize, yeah. you know, that 
means I'm naturally going to start noticing that other people are layered and listening from different levels. And then now, oh crap, now I have to be compassionate. Now I accidentally am compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you want to, to, to hate and blame. And I'm not saying that people aren't to blame for certain things, you know, yeah. certain actions, maybe not, we couldn't say action versus the people, but like, yeah, you, it, once you start to notice, and that's just like kind of the beginning of self, uh, reflection and stuff when all of a sudden you notice that oh my all my hardcore beliefs were were fear you know protecting me from or like you know protecting me from all this fear and then I'm like crap now I know that and then yeah. the deeper you dig and then the deeper you go and then I start noticing well that person has a bunch of layers too and then now all yeah. of a sudden now I mean it's it's all so connected and it's also easy to forget. I like to say that a lot too, because I feel like you could be listening to this in your car and then go, you hit traffic and then all, then you're angry and that's fine. <laughs> like this yeah. is, this is, this is the, the, the dance, like you've mentioned, um, remembering that is kind of the whole, whole thing. Like you can get, you can kind of go in and out of the songs you're hearing internally, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that just in terms of activism and compassion and how self-reflection uh and spirituality impacts that even if you don't intend it to yeah yeah so much yes yeah like that's that that's yeah. it, it uh, i'm gonna use the language of the dance but anyone else can use whatever language y'all need like it right. it's, it's that energy of like how are you how are you how are you experiencing the interplay between the inherent dignity that you hold and the inherent dignity of everything else around you. Right. How are you being open to whatever's going to emerge in the, in the listening to those two things? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know either. That's, that's why, that's why I'm asking <laughs> the question. Yeah. That's we, we don't know what we're, we're talking about. This is just exploring. And this brings me back to, uh, I'm going to reference one other guest. Cause I do, since this is, um, Kind of, we've talked about the podcast in, in that sense a couple of times. Uh, Sita Ramdas mentioned, because uh, I was talking about loving awareness from the Ramdas perspective, like I am loving awareness. I was like, that's so hard. What yeah. do you mean? Like, that's so lofty. Like, you can't just like, if I'm mad, I can't be like, bro, be loving awareness. I'm like, no, like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, and he, he mentioned, uh, you know, curiosity this is essentially curiosity just being like watching and listening this, this is kind of where i'm connecting those two things it's like a lot of times this isn't like a, a thing where you perfect it it's just a constant state of like am i listening can i be space or whatever and like just being curious and that was another there's a there's a handful of things from doing this podcast that i think i'm going to hold on to forever and uh the dance like we've talked about and then being curious about the dance you know what i mean like it's not step by step it's just being like ooh look how i moved there like yeah. you know and not about like alan watts says if you know the point of the dance is not to get to the last step like i did it right and i landed on the right spot it's to actually dance you know so but you got to listen in order to dance because you have yeah. to hear the music it's so Ah, being human is weird. <laughs> that can be the yeah. theme of season two. Season two, Dude, being a human is weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing in the world. And I and it's all like everything is such a slim 
like once the sides of the coin are so it's like the thinnest coin i'm saying this like i i don't know what the thinnest coin is but like you know it's the thin <laughs> one but like it's such a slim thing and i thought about this today because on the walk i was like there's some days where i'm just like i can't believe that one day i have to leave like sean has to stop existing mm-hmm. like and that's insane and then other days i'll walk and i'll be like I can't believe I have to do this for so long. <laughs> like I have to, <laughs> like how many, especially when you start noticing the stillness comes in these brief moments. I'm like, there's so many of those. <laughs> like, yeah. and like, it depends on my, you know, where I'm at in that day. And it's just such a slim line between, you know, the two opposing feeling um, ideas, even though they're many times not as opposing as they seem. Yeah. Yeah. But, I can share a, um, and maybe this will be a good place to to stop on, but I can share a, um, some imagery that I love. And it just like has been, so. it was a story. I feel like Parker Palmer may have shared it at some point, but it was some story that I heard at some point. And it's, uh, there's a woman who lives up on the top of a hill and every day she, she drives down the hill, goes to work, drives back up the hill, comes home from work. And as she drives, she passes a monastery. And there's this curiosity that's that's in her that's slowly just kind of kindling in there and the curiosity is what the hell do they do in there <laughs> what do these what do these people do in that monastery all day and so you know for years she she drives to work she drives home she thinks about it doesn't stop one day something occurs in her and it's it's just i got to stop and i got to ask and i don't know what's going to happen i'm just showing up and she goes to the front door and she you know knocks on it boom, boom, boom. And this person opens the door and he's a, he's a guy wearing uh, like blue jeans, a, a white t-shirt. Looks like it's got some like smudges on it. Maybe like dribbled some strawberry jam during toast in the morning. And she looks at him, you know, and just says, what do you do here? I'm just fascinated. Like what, tell me something. Cause I, I live up the hill and I've gone past you a billion times. Like, what do you do? And the guy looks at her and just like slow smile. And he says, well, we, we get up in the morning and uh, we we fall down, and we get back up, and then we fall down again, and we we get back up, and we and we fall down again. By that point, it's probably dinner, and so we we get up, we eat, we we fall down, and then it's bedtime. So we get up and we get in bed and we we go to sleep. And the reason I love that story is because it ends with the old man then saying, "We live a life, mm-hmm. and that's what life is." And it's this imagery of all of our days, all of our moments with our partners and our friends and our animals and the trees and the ducks, right? We're getting up and falling down over and over again. And there's a moment when we're standing that is beautiful. And there's a moment when we're on the ground that I think is beautiful. But the energy of that story is that life happens in the awareness of that rhythm and pattern and that pattern's never going to look the same. You're going to fall in a different spot. You're going to get up in a different spot. And one day your hip's going to hurt. And the next day your ankle's going to be a little rolled. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this beautiful element of living a life that is in the pauses and in the awareness of, of what's really going on. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And there's season two. Season two. <laughs> yeah. So this... This is a, this is, I appreciate you uh, helping me kick this off because uh, this was 
kind of a this was the least control I've ever given to one of the podcasts where I just came in with whatever and I'm happy how it turned out. I think it's good. Uh, and if you don't think so, that's why did you make it this far? That's my question. (laughs) What are you doing? But also you do you Yeah. and I hope something emerges. Right. Right. (laughs) I'm with you. All right, cool. Well, let me, uh, just thank you one more time and I'm sure we'll do this again. This is so good. Thanks for having me on again. No problem. Thanks for listening. Remember you are always everything. Bye.